Welcome to the Human Design Experiment, a podcast about real-life stories from women deep in their own unique experiment. I'm your host, Cassandra Russell, and my aim for this podcast is to take the complex human design system and make it relatable through stories, so you can feel empowered to start or dive deeper into your own unique human design experiment. Welcome to the Human Design Experiment podcast. We have the lovely Bronwyn with us today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm just going to jump right in. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your chart, and how human design found you. Yes. So um, I'm Bronwyn. I live in Atlanta, Georgia in the States, and I have two squirrely little boys and my husband. Kind of fun fact about our family is we have four out of the five types. The only one we're missing is a reflector here, but I am fairly certain at least one of my cats has got to be a reflector. So, Um, But I am a 1-3 splenic projector. I love being a projector and I'm always happy to share it. Um, And I actually found human design not quite a year and a half ago. It's been a fun, awesome deep dive roller coaster. I was listening to um, like a pop culture podcast and heard Jenna Zoe come on and do a human design reading for uh, somebody kind of in pop culture. And I was like, this is fascinating. Um, And I resonated with a lot of it. So I started going down the rabbit hole and then um, found all the information, found some podcasts, found some good people to work with. And it's been um, just life changing since then. Wow, that's awesome. I am a line one too. So I know when um, human design found me, it was like, boom, down the rabbit hole, like, let's get all the information, like all the podcasts, all the books, all the everything. Um, So when human design sort of found you, were you experiencing like a major challenge or struggle in your life around that time? You know, I was. So much like a lot of people now that I've uh, sort of heard reflections, um, when COVID hit for me, I was able to be at home and be at home with my family all the time because we were all stuck at home. Um, But it really sort of changed my viewpoint on things. I had been such a like, go, 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 hustle, 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 have to get to the next best thing type of person. And this was kind of eye opening that I, it was okay to slow down and be in the moment and be present. And um, it, that was just a big game changer. Um, A, Aside from that too, I was just your typical like mom, working mom. I I was kind of sad with the fact where if people asked me what my hobbies were and stuff like that, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what my hobbies are. I like to read, like that's about it. And I think a lot of moms and maybe working moms and stuff can really relate to that. You really lose yourself once you have a family. Yeah. Um, So I was kind of there. And at the same time, I was going through a struggle. My sister and I had recently become um, estranged and I was having a lot of bitterness being a projector. That's my not self theme, bitterness around um, that relationship and how that was unfolding. So I just had like sort multiple things kind of come together at once. And when human design kind of hit me, um, it was like the answer to all of those things and figuring out those things and who I really was. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking about like um, you were sort of like going to the next thing and like the hustle and everything, do you think that sort of 
was like a conditioning from childhood or came from you amplifying other sacral energy? Like how did that sort of story play out for you? Um, both of those probably, I think I have part of my journey with human design, especially recently has been sort of intergenerational trauma conditioning from childhood. Um, there's been a lot of actually everyone in my family growing up was a, either a generator or a manifesting generator. And so there was a lot of energy and there were lots of times. Um, I mean, I was working, especially in my twenties you know, really till I got pregnant with my first son. So like from college to 30, I would, I would be teaching during the day, do teach drumline at night, which would go to like nine or 10 o'clock be on the weekends. It's seven days a week. Sometimes, sometimes I would be teaching piano lessons in there. One time I was doing like an after school like kids program while doing all of those other things. And I would get to like some event at my parents' house and lay down on the couch. And I'd already be like, they'd start harassing me. My family would about, Oh, you're lazy. I'm like, I'm working these 15 hour days, you know, five days a week. And I am finally have a moment to sit and I want to lay down. Like I'm tired. Um, so I definitely had been conditioned to go, 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 keep up, keep like, like if you're stopping, you're not successful. Like the definition of success is you have to be doing. And I just am totally the opposite now. Mm. That's amazing. Um, and like just growing up with generators and MGs, like that must have been an intense energetic household. Were they um, growing up? Did you also, was a large portion of your family emotionally defined because you're emotionally undefined? Was that a, um, a player as well? Yes. So I want to say, and I can't remember off the top of my head, I think like half of them mm. are so there's five of us all together. I want to say at least two of them are emotionally defined. Um, and my sister being one of them. So it kind of makes sense, like figuring out some of our, um, struggles and why maybe we would kind of butt heads a little bit and go like, go through this process of me healing that relationship. Um, Mm. a lot of compassion was formed when I realized sort of who she was at this soul level. Like she's, um, emotional. She feels the feelings. She needs to feel the feelings like to be able to make a decision. And I'm not like that, but I've had to do a lot of work where, um, you know, very empathetic, like with other people's feelings and feeling Mm. those feelings intensely, um, especially as a teacher. Mm. So it's just been a lot of exposure to people's feelings. And it's, it wasn't until the last year, pretty much that I finally got a handle on how to work with that and mm. kind of put those walls up when I need you to protect my own energy. But um, yeah. definitely, I think I took a lot to heart as far as like emotions go, and I would feel things and shut down a lot. Like, became a person who doesn't share my emotions. Like I rarely cry. We don't talk about emotions in my family. We don't talk about feelings. You know, we could feel that people are feeling them, but there's no way to resolve it. So, And don't talk about it. It's like the elephant in the room. Just don't talk about it. Always. Yes. And so for somebody who's like, so intuitive and like open in a lot of centers, it, it was a lot. And I'm like, okay, I understand now why that was a lot back then. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm so like the solar plexus for me is just like such a big topic. I just love hearing people and how they um, experience either being defined or undefined. So like for you in your like physical body, like viscerally, how did it feel like before you found human design? Like how did it feel when you took on, like obviously this is in reflection, but like how did it feel when you took on other people's emotions? Did you get like a physical sensation? So I have to sidebar for a second because it's funny that you say that because the thing that got me immediately latched onto human design was the undefined solar plexus versus the defined solar plexus because I heard the definition of it and I called my husband and I was like, holy cow, I would bet like a million dollars that you're defined and I'm undefined. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. And then from there, I was like, I'm hooked. All of this stuff is right. But anyway, going back to your question. So I just very much would feel um, like the best, the best scenario I can use to describe it is anytime I would be as a teacher, I'd work on a team of, Mm. you know, anywhere from four to six people or seven people. And for some reason, I'd get super in tune with like one or two teachers on my team to the fact where I could feel what they were feeling, even if I wasn't like close with them relationship wise, like if they were having an off day, I would feel it in my core, I would feel the guilt of not understanding like why I feel that way. I would feel like almost like sick to my stomach, um, feel worried, feel anxiety, whatever that feeling is that they were Mm -hmm. feeling. I felt it. Um, and I would say reflecting even farther back, that's exactly how it was for me growing up. So it Mm -hmm. became very hard to feel like this really emotional person that like couldn't figure out like wasn't I guess emotionally intelligent enough with the house I grew up in how to like express those emotions either so I just bottled everything up inside which in turn of course turns to my own anxiety that I have to deal with yeah um so yeah yeah, it was just a very overwhelming sensation Mm -hmm. and could just ruin my day or completely turn my day around if I had tapped into somebody else yeah and when you say like um like ruin your day or completely turn around did you did you because for myself it was really like a it was like a sinking into a black hole like in reflection I can see it like I knew I had these dark episodes and I didn't know why but on reflection now that I've been going through this deconditioning process and I and I'm so conscious of what it feels like in my body when I take on others emotions like I would just sink into this black hole just this abyss and I like couldn't I couldn't speak and it was almost like I shut myself off from the world because I didn't want to take anything more like I was just subconsciously trying to protect myself um and I didn't know when it was going to end and I didn't know how long I was going to be in it or when it was going to happen and it was just like I'd be like am I going to be okay today like I'd, I'd feel fine and then next minute I'd be like shoo just sinking right down into the darkness um so I think it's like and, and it's not something I ever spoke about because it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't allowed in my house growing up. I was like, quote unquote, the moody bitch, and I'd get sent to my room. Um, like if any type of emotional anything was like, no, we don't have room for that. Like you need to go away and remove yourself. Um, so I really grew up with a, a notion of it's not okay to express it. So I just shut it down and shut it down. And it wasn't until my oldest son came along and he is defined in the solar plexus and he has two of the ratchet waves. It wasn't until he came along that I started to express it through my mouth and I would like get angry at him or have explosions. And then once I had the explosions, I would retreat inside myself because it was like, oh my God, the shame. I can't believe I just said that. And it would just sort of, you know, compound and compound. So I'm really fascinated by people's individual journey of 
what it feels like to have an open solar plexus because everyone is so different and it's not like a cookie cutter, you have an open solar plexus, you feel other people's emotions. It's like, but what does it feel like for you? Because it could be similar for other people and they don't realise that's what they're taking on. Mm-hmm. that makes sense? Yeah. Yes. yes. And a lot of that does resonate for me because I have dealt with depression in the past and I I wouldn't know, like I would venture to guess that w- that's a piece of it. Um, but I definitely like on a smaller scale, when I would feel those feelings from like a fellow teacher or something, I would, I would very much, like you said, go inward. I would sort of retreat, need to be by myself, but then all the stories would start. And then part of me, I have an open head and Ajna. So then I'm like now reflecting, I'm like, okay, so I was taking their feelings where I also, was I also taking their worries, but then I would be like, okay, what did I do to piss this person off? Or what did I do to make them sad? Or what did I do to make them frustrated or whatever. Cause then it was all like, I felt like I caused it because I yeah. was feeling it. Totally. Um, yeah. And so once I learned about like the body scan and how the body scan can help you protect your energy, that was a game changer because I was able to put up those walls and be like, Oh, wait a minute. I didn't feel that coming into this scenario. This isn't mine. So I can mm. like recognize it and then let it go. And yeah. not only not feel the deep feelings, but not have the stories attached to it, which has helped with my anxiety immensely. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, it's those stories that kind of keep you stuck, I think, in that really low place because it was, I have a defined head and ajna. So like when something gets stuck in my head, it's just like a loop. Like it just repeats and repeats and repeats. And when I was in those dark spaces, it was always like, um, like I'm such an emotional person. Like I'm such a bitch. I'm such a bad mom. I'm such a this. I'm such a that. Why can't I be happy? And it was just like on repeat, like over and over again. So I know for myself, once I learned that I was um, undefined emotionally, it was like a huge cracking open of this emotional identity that I created for myself. And then I realized some tools that sort of helped me to move those through me. So I'm a I'm a generator, a pure generator. And for me, movement is key. So if I'm standing still, it's like the energy just builds. Or if I'm sitting still, it's like even worse. The energy, the pressure, the emotional pressure just builds. Um, And I found that if I'm having a conversation with someone I've noticed who is emotionally defined, like my eldest son or my partner or my best friend, even over voice notes, it's if I know it's going to be an emotional conversation, I'll say, let's step outside. I can't be in a small confined space. Like we live in a caravan. So I'm like, let's step outside and have this conversation in the open. (laughs) Or if I'm listening to a voice note from my friend or on the phone, like I'm in motion, like I'm doing the dishes or I'm doing something to move my body to help it not sort of like land on me as, as yeah, could be said like land on me and get stuck. Like it just helps to kind of flow it through. But I'm really curious because you're a projector with, you know, like an open sacral, but you do have a defined root. Like how do you move those emotions through? Is it more like a mental sort of process? Like how does that work for you? It is more mental, but thank you for saying that because my son is, uh, my younger son is a generator and he is emotionally undefined. And I may use that as and see if that can help him out a little bit because he just turned three and he's having some big tantrums and big yes. feelings. So um, I'll have to use that. So thank you. That's but, okay. Um, for, for me, so I, um, it's a very meditative and I don't know if it comes with like my inner vision. Um, like it's a very meditative process. So kind of like closing my eyes when I'm by myself, doing a body scan, just kind of running through my body being like, what, what do I feel like before I enter this scenario or mm. enter this 
into this conversation or whatever it is. And for me, that was big going into work because I was about to be surrounded by kids and adults and all the things. Yeah. So I would then just so like, I feel sad. Okay. So I would recognize my sadness, feel it for like 90 seconds, let it go, whatever. Mm. Okay. So I know how I feel. So then I enter into a room. If all of a sudden I was really angry or, um, really anxious about something, I would stop myself and be like, wait a second. I didn't feel this a little bit ago. Nothing happened to all of a sudden make me feel angry. It's not like somebody just came and told me off, like nothing happened. There's no reason for me to feel this way. It's got to be somebody else's. So I take a second to just stop myself. And I kind of in my head, I'm saying, okay, anger, like I see you, you're not mine. I'm going to let you go. And like, send you back to the person and almost imagining like this little ball of like energy, sending it back to the person like in my head and having this little inner conversation or dialogue Mm -hmm. and then allowing myself to just kind of feel it, let go, cut the ties and then move on. And as that comes up throughout the day, continue to do that with whatever emotions, but then continuing to check in, like when I am by myself, like halfway through the day, maybe I feel a little bit different. Um, But doing that, I had to be really conscious of doing, making myself do it. So I would put reminders in my phone at first for like when I knew I was going to have breaks in my day where I was by myself and like for busy moms or like if you're a teacher or something like that, like when you're going to the bathroom, do it like any chance you get when you're by yourself. Um, So (laughs) that's a good strategy to use. And then it starts to just become innate where you can do it in like a second, let it go. And you have those sort of boundaries there. Mm, I love that. And I love that there's just so like real life tangible things that like people can use straight away. Another thing that popped into my head while I was listening to you actually is um, we're staying with in-laws at the moment. So coming from being in a caravan for the last year, we're like using their shower and bath, which is like amazing. And I'm just like got these exfoliator gloves. And like when I go into the shower, I'm just like exfoliating the shit out of myself. And I can just feel all that energy just circulating and like moving out of my body so it really can be incorporated into things you do every day anyway um but it's just becoming conscious of that Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah it'll become second nature but yeah when you're in the shower like sometimes as moms we can't even get that time to ourselves so any chance you have take it while you can get it (laughs) totally and I've actually noticed so my um my eldest who's 13 he's defined emotionally and our five-year-old Henry is undefined and obviously we're in a house with other people at the moment. We've had extra family staying as well. And his, um, he also has feelings as his cognition. So he's really susceptible to emotions and people's energy. And I've noticed him, um, he's, a, he's a generator, he's a pure generator, and he doesn't sit still. He's always in motion, which he just knows is right for him. But I've noticed the last few days he's been asking me to have dance parties because he just knows that his energy is so big that he needs to like express it and get it out of his body. Um, which is really cool because I think as we kind of witness our children, like as we're going through this ourselves and we're sort of opening up to how, you know, we can live in alignment with ourselves, we can witness our children, especially if they're young and they are often just naturally doing the things that they need to cleanse their own body or to, you know, let go of whatever energy they've taken on. Whereas for us, it's kind of not harder, but we've had a lot more years of conditioning to try and let go of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have two kids? I do. So yeah. my oldest, Ar- Archie, is six and a half, and he's a manifesting generator. 
Um, and he is emotionally defined, just like his dad. And then, um, and they actually have the ratchet as well. Yeah. Both of them. So, um, so we watch out sometimes when those hit. But, um, and then my younger son, Atticus, like I said, just turned three as a generator and he's mm-hmm. um, emotionally undefined. So sometimes like, I refer back to this one scenario where I could feel like the ratchet building, like with my husband and my older child. And I was like, I'm going to get the baby and we're just going to go upstairs in the playroom and we're going to hang out here until this has subsided. Like, you know, just being aware of that and like who needs what and how you can support your kids. Um, And even like I've started with the bigger one, you know, showing him his chart and being like, this is what this means. This is what this means. Like, how does that, you know, speak to you or resonate with you or whatever. And, and he gets some of it. Um, and it's kind of cool to start. And I may not use the actual language. I may be yeah. like, you're a manifesting generator. So you have a lot of energy and you like mm-hmm. to do lots of things type of thing. And, you know, um, so it's just kind of cool to already start using that with them, but you're right. Like to see these energies in their purest forms and that condition, like my th- three-year-old is that just big magnetic, attractive generator aura and I yeah. love watching it yeah mm. yeah it's am- it's it's amazing how like I was really raised in a family that kind of like treated your kids the same so I my mothering was like treat your kids the same but and it was really like eye-opening and shocking to me when I found human design and how different my kids are and I was like they need me to be different because they are different so they need different things for me at different times. So the difference between mothering my 13-year-old who was just an emotional man-gen is just a powerhouse of energy. Like he nearly has all centers defined and he's just like, when he's there, he's there. Like you feel his energy and he just magnetizes people to him and he's completely oblivious to it. Like as absolutely no idea. But kids just gravitate towards him. And then my little uh, middle child, Henry, he's like, um, he's quite open in his chart and he's a pure generator. And he's just, we call him our little wild card because it depends who he's around as to how he's going to behave. Open head, Ajna, throat, um, will center, a solar plexus. So he's just like, and just the, th- the way that his mind works is just mind blowing. So it's like, I feel like, um, I remember joking when I was like a young mother and be like, my God, I wish I had a manual for motherhood. Like, I wish I just, you know, knew how to be a mother to, to my kid. I only had one child at that time because I felt like I was such a failure. And it, I do feel genuinely like human design is like a manual for motherhood because it just gives you clues into how their energy could be expressed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I do like one of my passions, um, because I offer different like human design services, and I do parenting unpacks and parenting coaching. Yeah. And those are one of my favorite things to do just to like, get to know this kid through their chart, and then share those insights with their parents and then see those like aha moments. And then Mm. just knowing that like there is like you said, it is this guidebook, and we can start to change how we're approaching our kids based on this information that we when we were growing up, you know, our parents didn't know existed or whatever. Um, but it's so cool. And as a teacher too, changing, um, like I have a story, there's one kid who was in this last year, I taught elementary music. So it was kindergarten through fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was a kindergartner and lots of energy all over the place. And I pull up his chart and I'm like, he's going to be a manifesting generator for sure. He was not, he was a mental projector. And I was like, holy cow, he's just He's got like two centers to find. He's taken in everybody else's stuff and probably doesn't know what to do with it. So dude just like needs his space to kind of let it drain. 
And it just totally changed my viewpoint of him and like how I would offer him support, I guess. So it's, it's just really cool. This new, I don't know, vantage point um, and compassion and empathy that you have for your kids when you're like, oh, you're just, you are who you are. You're who you're made to be. So absolutely. And the word compassion was jumping out to me too. And I think um, compassion for yourself too, because often we're raised to be so different to what we are actually, what, how our energetic blueprint is designed to function. So that kind of leads me to the next question. Like when you like found out about your type and design, were you like relieved, shocked, surprised? Was it like, oh, you know, like, thank God. It was, um, there was a lot of resonance there because I've been a teacher for 15 years. So this was, I would have been a teacher for 14 years at the time. And there's so much in my life where I find joy, helping people, guiding people, Mm. you know, offering that wisdom. So that projector piece, as far as like who the projector is, it was very resonant. Mm. Um, the learning about, you know, waiting for the invitation as my strategy was a a huge aha, because as I sort of went back and looked and saw all these times I was initiating, and it just was not working out for me. And I would get into toxic situations or just be miserable with something I thought I wanted to do. I was like, Oh, my gosh, if I just wait for an invitation, like all of these times I waited for somebody to come to me and offer something, I'm so much happier. Yeah. Um, So it was a lot of having to kind of like retroactively go back and think about where these things were true, or, you know, where I was living unaligned, and it was just not going well. Yeah, absolutely. And I find your, um, I find your authority really fascinating. My niece has is a splenic projector. And has that like really shifted how you make decisions or how, like, how were you making decisions sort of before you knew that you're a splenic projector? Yeah. So I was making every decision from my head and in order to please others or to prove myself, because I've got that undefined will center. So in order to prove myself to others, so every single thing I did was from my head and having been conditioned by a family who was very, practical, very realistic, um, very, I don't know, like my way is the correct way and there's no other correct way to do things. Um, I've had to do a lot of work even recently with letting go of that. Um, and the anxiety I felt I knew came from that, from all of these years, you know, I'm 37. So at the time, maybe 36 years of making decisions from my head and always letting my head get involved and either talk me out of these gut instincts I had from my intuition mm. or into just something completely off the wall that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place. So tapping into my intuition and once like it was presented to me, like, it's this whisper, you're going to hear it quickly, it's going to go away, you got to pay attention to it in the moment. I was like, I've been hearing this. And there are times in my life, when I should have listened to it, like I know, I remember that I had an instinct about it. And yes. I just didn't pay attention yes. to it, because I let my head get involved. Yeah. Um, but once I started listening to my authority, uh, just listening to my spleen, listening to that in the moment intuition, my anxiety was gone. I, and I'm telling you my entire life, I've had intense anxiety and now it'll maybe pop up once every like six months, like some sort of anxiety feeling. And when that does happen, I can squash it because I'm like, nope, that's my head. Get back into my body. 
Um, yeah. And then doing a lot of intuitive development work. So I understand how my intuition is talking to me. I now know that it's all auditory. So I hear words. So I do hear in my head, like, yes, or no, like do that. And I, it's, I feel like it's kind of akin to probably what a sacral would feel wow. like um, with that. So you, yes or no. You hear the yes or no. Like you actually mm -hmm. hear the yes or no. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so interesting. Um, Sorry, keep going. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I, I started noticing that like some people start small with like what they want for dinner um, or whatever. For me, it was easier just to go with the big things and be like, I hear yes, I'm just going to do it. And then we'll see what happens. Um, and once I was recognized how it felt in my body, how the yes or the no was coming through, then it was easier to continue to make decisions that way. That's amazing. And I think um, it's just another really good example of like, like what the human design experiment means to you specifically, because it means something different to every person. So like your, how your spleen speaks to you could be totally different to how my niece's spleen speaks to her being a splenic projector or the next person, or like I myself have a defined spleen. Um, my authority comes from my sacral. So my gut, like, uh -huh, uh -huh. but even sometimes I don't resonate with that. Like sometimes my body's moving before I've even anything's come out of my mouth. Like I just, I'm responding in the moment and my body knows where to go. But I have noticed lately that I've been um, hearing the whisper of my spleen and it's a voice that's very different to my normal continual monologue. <laughs> from my defined head and ajna and it's usually something that's super simple but extremely helpful so it's like we were camping um like two months ago or something and we we're going on this really big hike and I just had this voice in my head as I was packing everything to say pack a garbage bag your baby's gonna do a poo and like just super simple but I was like busy and I was like oh yeah I'll get to I'll get to I'll get to it get like you know down the track we've already hiked for ages of course she does a poo and I'm like oh like my <laughs> told me to pack a bag. Like it's the simplest of things. But for me, it's really, it speaks to me very much about like something that I'll need or my well-being or something that's going to like really help our family's well-being. So I just find it really fascinating that you hear the auditory and as your authority, you hear yes and no as well, because I think um, yes, no has kind of been a little bit pigeonholed into the sacral. As opposed, mm -hmm. like, I haven't heard the spleen authority being spoken about as a yes, no. It's just more like a voice or a knowing. So I just think that's really, yeah, one of the reasons why I have want to have these discussions is you kind of, like, um, crack open the possibilities of, like, how, you know, your design can speak to you. Does that make sense? Yes. And I definitely think that, like, I would love to, like, hear a bunch of people with, you know, splenic authority just say okay this is how I hear it or feel it because I think it can be really it probably can be different so like somebody who's more clairvoyant intuitively maybe sees something that tells them yes or no like maybe I see yellow and that means yes or you know things like that I'm sure there's tons of different ways it comes up but because all of the intuitive work I did showed me that 99% of the time I'm getting clear audience when you know things are talking to me that I was just in tune with, okay, well, I'm going to trust this voice when it comes up, um, no matter if it's a message for somebody else or a message for me or whatever. So I, like, I can't recommend enough that in like doing the intuitive work as a splenic authority, but also I think people with really defined or undefined spleens, I think it offers so much with how, I don't know, the, how, how your spleen talks to you. So yeah. um, it's just yeah. been fascinating. 
Absolutely. And I think the more you kind of dive into your experiment, the more you can recognize the different parts of yourself. Like our design makes up a whole, but I know very much that my open solar plexus speaks to me differently to how my sacral speaks to me, which is defined to how my defined solar plexus speaks to me. And I'm, I have a real resonance of how my defined root feels now. And I can feel when the adrenaline pulse is there. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's like the more you dive into the experiment, the more awareness you can bring to these different parts of your chart. Um, so I just sort of wanted to ask, because obviously the podcast is all about the experiment. Um, uh, what are some examples or sort of like, yeah, real life examples? And I know you've given us a few already, but sort of like how you experiment um, with human design in your day to day life, whether it be like on your own with yourself or with your kids or anything that comes to mind. Um, oh, there's been so many. Um, for, first of all, tapping into my authority. So making sure that, you know, I'm listening to my body instead of my mind. So anytime that comes up, big decisions, little decisions, I think that's huge strategy and really strategy and authority were the biggest and quickest game changers for me when I started experimenting with my design. So in journaling the evidence of, Mm. you know, for me, I waited for the invitation. I found success. I didn't. I tried to initiate it went to crap, like, you know, things like that. And obviously insert your own, um, you know, strategy there, whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, so th- those are the two biggest ones, but I've also done a lot of experimenting. So my PHS is cold thirst. Um, mm-hmm. And for Dude. me, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for me that I always had 800 drinks around me anywhere I go, I'm bringing at least two to three drinks. So I was like, that makes sense. But then when I started to try to take it from that literal cold thirst and was like, okay, how do I apply it to this like metaphorical, how I digest life? I was like, what does that look like? So experimenting with that and just realizing that like cold is like, cool it, slow down. So where in my life can I slow down? So if I know it's a podcast that people can't hear, but I have a sloth behind me. Um, I have these two different pictures right behind me who are my constant human design reminders. So the sloth is my like projector rest, but also my cold thirst, like cool it, live in the moment, be present because that theme comes up in my chart all over, like be in the now enjoy the now. And then I also have this like unique dressed up llama. And that's like reminding me to be my individual unique self because I have a lot to offer. So just a little side note there. And then um, my environment. So I have internal markets and I have found, um, you know, as a teacher, I've always worked in a school building. So um, coming once we hit the pandemic, I was like, you know what, I kind of like like working at home from my office, I like setting up my big dad, like I bought a big fancy desk once things like kind of stayed at home for a while. Um, I was like, this is kind of nice. And then I realized internal markets, like I'm supposed to trade my wealth and stuff from home. And so I was like, okay, so I started doing the human design and intuitive readings from home that felt good. And then now I, um, to be more aligned, I left my teaching job and now I'm completely working from home, teaching classes online and doing this like human design intuitive business. So it's all internal markets. And so taking these baby steps with that to kind of get there. Um, but then also things again, like there's some stuff that's more like metaphorical. So I was having issues. I was like, I don't get why my environment isn't mountains because I love the mountains and that's where I feel the most at peace. And then I had somebody ask me, well, you know, what do you like about the mountains? I was like, 
well, when you look at them, they're just beautiful. Like everything you look at is beautiful. And I, I have outer vision like oh, as my tone. So yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. Like <laughs> I just need the pretty like scenery to make me feel at peace. And that could be a painting that I put on my wall or, you know, maybe I just need to step outside and look at my backyard with all the trees or whatever. Um, so it's just experimenting with little pieces of your design as you go. Um, and not, trying to do everything at once, like (laughs) learn, learn something, experiment with it, dabble in it, integrate it, and then move on to the next thing. Like it's so exciting, especially if you're a line one and you want to dive in and learn all the things, but yes, um, which I was guilty of. And I was like, I'm going to slow my roll because I'm going to get a lot more out of this if I tiptoe into it and do one Mm -hmm. thing at a time. Um, So just find the things that resonate or even the things that don't resonate because that cold thirst wasn't fully resonating with me. Um, but then once I kind of looked at it from different perspectives and experimented a bit, it did make a difference. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, I think that's a really important point because we can kind of take something that's said in human design world or language and take it kind of as gospel or like, it's kind of that way. Um, I have cold thirst myself and it's really interesting because it's, you know, like how we digest information, how we digest life. I found for myself when I was digesting other people's emotions, I would get physically hot, like overheated. So I actually found that drinking cold smoothies or drinking ice cold water or standing under the aircon, even if it was winter, would help me to like cool down. Um, and particularly like swimming in a cold ocean, like that's like instantly cleansing for me or swimming in like a cold body of water. Um, just especially if it's like, you know, fresh water or the ocean, like it cleanses me really quickly. So it's like that. I feel like that cold thirst can really, like you said, be opened up to so many different um, ways that you can support yourself. And it is just an experiment and starting small. So I know for myself, I remember being told as a child and reading when I was um, diving into like what's healthy for our bodies and blah, 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 like don't drink cold water. So I was drinking room temperature water for ages and I hated it. As soon as I put ice in water, I'm like, oh, my God, my life is complete. Like cold water throughout my day helps me to digest, especially as a line one, if I'm diving down a rabbit hole, having cold water next to me to be drinking and cooling me down and slowing me down as I'm speeding up and getting excited for whatever I'm learning. Like it's just simple little tweaks that often we're told to be the opposite of what we are and you won't know until you've tried it. That makes sense? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. That hundred percent resonates. All right. That's awesome. So um, what are you going to do now? Hmm. I suppose. Yeah. So I suppose we'll sort of um, jump back a little bit. So what was top two things you wish you knew about your design when you're a child? Like what do you think would have helped you navigate life? Um, my type mm. uh, and I think that's really the biggest one because I would realize that first of all, I need to preserve my energy and not try to keep up with everybody else. Um, And that I'm only designed to work those two to three hours a day, but I have my root center defined. So really I could do like three to five hours a day. Um, And that's okay. I'm not lazy. I'm just designed to really be more efficient in a shorter amount of time, which now totally resonates because I'm always like, I can get things done really quickly and do it well. I don't need to be here all day. Um, The other thing is 
I've had to do a lot of like kind of shadow work in conditioning with dealing with my family. My family, we don't talk about emotions, but we also don't give words of affirmation or praise. So like, I cannot tell you a time my parents told me they were proud of me. Mm -hmm. So, and as a projector kid, that's a lot because projectors need that recognition and validation. Totally. And so, and I sort of conditioned myself to feel like I was needy. And then I would keep trying, you know, undefined will center, keep trying to prove myself and prove myself so I could get some sort of recognition just on this hamster wheel though. Cause I was never going to get it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of sad to say, and it's just now as an adult where I'm realizing, you know what, they're not going to say it. So why keep doing these things to please them that don't really mean anything to me. It's not what I want to do. So even little things like, um, you know, when I was 25, I got my nose pierced and my parents, um, judged me and like, I felt bad that I disappointed them and I wanted to please them. So I took it out Sunday. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go get my nose pierced. So yesterday I got my nose pierced and I was like, I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it to please anybody else. So just, you know, these, these little things where I'm like, I do need validation. I do need recognition, but I can stop trying to get it from places where I'm not going to get it. Um, and start looking towards doing things for me because I want to do them and not because I'm trying to get validation from somebody who's not going to give it to me. So kind kind of deep, but very, very big thing for me. Totally. And super helpful for anyone listening who has projected children, just Mm -hmm. being like keeping that in your conscious, you know, like giving them validation and recognition. Like it's huge. It really is like, yeah, it can be a game changer. I um, am going to end it with some three um, so like quick questions. So sort of jump back in time a little bit. So when you first discovered human design, um, if you could go back in time, what would be the number one tip you would give yourself? Mm, Oh my gosh, that's hard. Um, Share, like share your joy. Like don't feel like with, with my human design journey and my like intuitive psychic reading abilities, I felt so much shame around it and still do to like some extent when I'm talking to somebody, I'm not like, Hey, I can talk to dead people. Like, you know, (laughs) you have to like ease into that, but just sharing my joy, share what lights me up and who cares what anybody else thinks about it. Um, and when I'm sharing the things that excite me, that's, what's going to bring these invitations for all of these aligned steps in my life. So, um, sharing would be, I think the number one thing. I love that. That's awesome. I think the number one tip for myself would be like to take a breath because at the beginning of my human design journey, I was like, Oh my God, I need all the information. I was just like a mad researcher and I was down the rabbit hole. And I think I feel like I've done so much um, like deconditionings, particularly around my open solar plexus. But in reflection, I do feel like um, I do feel like I probably could have done more, even though I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. But if I had just taken a breath and been like, okay, like one step at a time, what does this piece mean to me? What does this piece mean to me? And not trying to change everything all at once. Um, But it's interesting too to reflect back. I just had a memory come up um, 
yesterday, I think it was, I was just cooking a recipe and I'd screenshot it from exactly a year ago, almost to the minute. And I remembered where I was, where I'd made this banana cake. And I was like, wow, I I just remembered the feeling in my body at that exact time. And like what was going on in my head and everything. And I was like, wow, I have come a long way. So it's, it's like, I think sometimes we forget how far we've come to <laughs> in really a relatively short amount of time, considering we haven't found human design till our 30s or like whenever it is. Like we have quite a bit of um, deconditioning to go through. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And still, <laughs> I still am making huge strides. So. Yeah. And it's a lifelong thing. Like it's not like, you know, we're going to get to it at like the end of this year. Like it is a lifelong continual practice and journey to experiment, I think, with your own design. Um, exactly. And so- can I add something to that yeah. too? Just because it's so important and knowing that like you're going to have moments where you get aligned, yeah. but then you have moments where you get back out of alignment. It's not like you get aligned and then you're set there. You're good for the rest <laughs> of your life. Like thing, like there's going to be decisions that throw you in and out of it um, yeah. and not feeling shame around that. But it's now like as you build the tools, you know how to get back to where you want to be. Absolutely. And there's, and it's, it's okay. Like it's, you can learn as much from being out of alignment as you can learn from being in alignment. So they're both learning opportunities. Like it's one's not good or bad. Correct, and I think, yeah. yeah, taking the label out of it. Um, and for you personally, how is your design a superpower for you? It, I mean, again, just that projector guidance. I love helping people. I love serving people and guiding people. And for so many years, I thought that that was in the four walls of a classroom. And I realized now that it doesn't have to be so I can help people through, you know, my human design business and guiding them like using the tools or the life lessons that I've learned. Um, And there's so much I always call myself a very projectory projector because it the the projector, like guidance, helping people, being a leader, you know, I don't know, but whatever, helping people become more efficient or things like that show up all over my chart. Like once you get into the gates and the circuitry. So um, that that's my superpower and I love it. I just love mm-hmm. to help people. That's beautiful. I love it. And the last question is, what's the number one recommended human design book or resource that has helped you the most or that you would recommend to others? Oh my goodness. Um, trying to think, you know, recently here, the gene keys mm-hmm. by Richard Rudd has been really good. Cause once you get to, now don't rush to it, but once you get to the part where you're discovering your gates, yeah. um, I think that's a big, a big thing is the gene keys corresponds with the gates. Um, they really are kind of the same thing, but there's like mm-hmm. a backstory where they like Richard Rudd got separated from raw and I, I don't know the whole thing, but, but he offers so many insights into the shadow expression of each gate, the gift, which is kind of where you want to shoot for. And then the city S I D D H I, which is like, if you're like enlightened, you're going to get there. Um, and yep. so you hope to hit that at some point, but that's not necessarily where you're going to live. But um, so just going through that and, you know, discovering what resonates or how I can push myself to be moved towards the gift or how in some aspects I have hit the city and, you know, come back out at times. So it's really cool. And then with it, he has like the pearl sequence and stuff like that. So it's another Mm -hmm. sort of extension of that human design. And if you're line one, you'll love it. Another (laughs) rabbit hole. hundred percent. I have recently started diving into the gene keys myself and like, it's a big book. It's a thick book. It's not like you're just going to sit down and read it. Like it's one of those books where you go 
to the particular gate or whatever that you want to know about at that time. I think I really like it because it shows a journey. It's sort of taken a gate, which is kind of like 2D for me, and gone from like the shadow aspect and then how it can evolve and move and also how it can go up, back, up, back, like, and that's okay. Like some of the gates in my chart, I was like, I don't, I don't resonate with that at all. Like, um, like the love of the body, gate 46, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, I don't love myself. Like, what are you talking about? And like, that's been a huge journey for me. Um. But, and I resonate more with it now, but like when you read the gate, it, it can explain to you the journey of the shadow aspect to the gift to the city. So it's, yeah, I love it. It kind of just, I don't know, makes it more colourful or just gives another dimension or something to it. But obviously dive in it when you feel called and when your authority is leading you there because it can be a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it can be very... um like there could be a lot of shadow work around it. And I recommend starting with like your personality, sun and earth and your design, sun and her earth. So even that is meaty. Like this book is big. When she says it's big, it's like a huge old doorstop brick. Um, right now it's holding up our air conditioning and our house is broken and it's holding up my fan. So I was like, I need something big to get this like face level. Um, but I, yeah, I recommend just like a gate at a time. If you're curious about that gate or what, it, how it would could resonate with you. Um, checking that out is really powerful. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that one. Um, and last question, where can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Instagram is probably the biggest and easiest one. I'm uh, My business is called Guided by Human Design because I'm a projector guide. So you can find me on there and I share lots of things and have links to my services. I do have a Facebook page that's Guided by Human Design. I don't post on that as much. Um, and then I have a website, again, guidedbyhumandesign.com, where you can find all my services. And, you know, my I have sort of these three pillars where it's like empowering yourself so you can empower others. Um, so it's sort of self, family, and then education. I've done some work recently with a neurodivergent school and, um, you know, teaching the staff about their human designs. And as we move into the next school year, we're going to... Um, you know, apply it to these special needs kids and how, um, you know, to support them. So I have a big passion for pulling my education background into this as well. So, uh, and then I offer intuitive readings and things like that. So, uh, and I'm constantly just, if I feel called, if my spleen is like, yes, let's do something. Um, Like today I'm just launching, like in the last couple minutes, I'm like, I'm going to do projector coaching. So if you are a projector and want some insights on, you know, being a projector or a parent of a projector, um, this applies to you. So all the things I love helping people. If you have questions, you can reach out to me, ask me questions. Um, I love it. I love making connections through human design. It is my favorite. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad we had this chat today. I just love listening to you because I can just hear you speak your design like so clearly. And I'm like, oh, yes. And the projects you've got going on sound amazing. So thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. I've absolutely loved this chat. Um, And I'll link all of your details and everything in the show notes so people can find you. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Human Design Experiment Podcast. I hope there was parts of this story that resonated with you. And if you liked the episode, please hit the subscribe button and share the episode with a friend. If you want to dive deeper into your own human design experiment, please follow me on Instagram where you'll find my course offerings. The link is in the show notes below. See you next episode.